Let me talk about giving real quick. I was, um, I, I was thinking about this this morning as we have kind of like gone through the process of, of being released from religion in every way, shape, or form. Um, the tithe is, is such a funny thing because, you know, we, I, we teach, and it's not a wrong teaching, but we teach, you know, tithe is 10%, and that comes from the Old Testament, um, and the New Testament doesn't really talk as much about it because they weren't giving 10%. They were selling everything they had and giving it. So they were giving 100%. So the reason the New Testament doesn't talk about it is because they didn't have an issue with the 10%. They were giving 100%. Um, but but that, that being said, it, it, that's one of the things. I, I was telling somebody this week, I, I was meeting with a pastor. I actually met with a lot of pastors this week. It just kind of happened like that. But um, that the way you can tell someone's trust is simply by looking at how they give. How much someone trusts the Lord, you can simply look at their giving. Because if, if you're, and I joke about this, and I'm not saying this is wrong. If you do this, you do you. But if we're doing this thing where it's like, all right, I make, you know, a thousand bucks a month, um, which in this economy with all these jobs available, if all you're making is a thousand bucks a month, you can get a new job. Um, but anyway, that's just my little dad advice. But you're making, you know, a thousand times, you know, point ten, awesome, one hundred dollars. I'm gonna give a hundred dollars. Would you like to cover the processing fees? Yeah, no, because that's a hundred, you know, that's a hundred dollars, my ten percent, and give. Like, and I'm not saying that's wrong, if, but if we're, th- we should be at a level now where we're saying, Holy Spirit, how do I need to respond and trust this month in just, in just giving? You know what I'm saying? And I say that as my wife and I uh, give, not like the 10% thing. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not telling you to do something I don't do, but I'm saying that to say not as a, a works thing. Hopefully you've been here long enough to know we don't give a crap about that. But um, I say that as a, a, the Lord is opening the floodgates of heaven, and um, he's looking for a people that he can trust, that trust him. And, uh, and giving is, is the baseline level for, for that. So I want to encourage you. If, you have, if it's been a mighty long time since you sat down and looked at your giving as an opportunity to worship and to trust, um, I just want to encourage you to do that. And it's not, I'm not saying that because we're struggling as a church. We're doing amazing as a church. I mean, amazing. So that's not why I'm saying that at all. I'm saying that for you. And so anyway, with that being said, is anybody giving in the service today? One, two, anybody else besides two? Awesome, awesome. Um, could you pass that back there, please? Thank you. Right there. And then could y'all kind of like daisy chain it down? This, I, this was, yeah, this is the old school thing. Everybody pass the bucket. You know, especially when you're, I mean, is anybody else giving? Oh, pass it back there. There you go. This is so cool. It's like old school. Especially when you're a kid and the bucket goes by and you see all that money hanging there. You're like, you know, <laughs> passing around. I'm, I never did that. I never did that. Um, wanted to, but we do need the gold plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our giving would go up exponentially if we had the gold plate. Um, thank you all so much for giving. Y'all are super faithful in that. And so I just, I'm super thankful for it. Um, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Let's go to Romans 5. Let's go to Romans 5. Um, this is Palm Sunday, and, um, but I'm, I'm going I'm to teach on what the Lord kind of wants us to teach on today. And, um, and so Romans 5, Romans 5, Romans 5. I'm actually read it first before I read anything that I've written. So I'm going to change it up a little bit, but let me, let me read this. A little bit of review, a lot of review if you've been here for a while. NIV is what I'm going to read from. I might read it from another translation as well, possibly, but we'll start with the NIV. Here we go. Romans 5, Romans 5, Romans 5. It's right after Acts, and Acts is right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Romans 5. I'm going to start. Y'all catch us along the way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Through whom, Jesus Christ, we have gained access by or excuse me, by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Man, I wish we saw hope like that. Don't y'all? Um, the way that you get to hope is by way of character. <laughs> Man, that's good. That is good. That's not what I'm preaching on today, but maybe in a few weeks. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, hemartea, Christ died for us. Amazing, amazing. But it's even better than you dreamed. Verse 9, since we have now been justified, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I might hit that if I have time, but I've hit that countless times in the past, so we might hit it, maybe not. Verse 10, For if we were God's enemies, excuse me, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What saved mean, somebody? Made whole. Okay, so how much more shall we be made whole through his life? Okay, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We now have received reconciliation. Verse 12, my favorite, let's see, 12 through 21. So my favorite nine verses, I think, in the entire Bible. Verse 12, therefore, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Ah, Lord. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern or a type and shadow of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Listen to this. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. 
But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Here we go. Verse 18. Consequently, which means because of all this, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though, excuse me, as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Here's a really interesting verse. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Okay. The law was brought in so that the trespass or the sin might increase. But where the sin increased, grace increased all the more. Let's say it like this. The law was brought in so that grace might increase more than the sin it revealed. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5. Romans 5. Today I want to talk about two, two, one idea, but, but two kind of encompassing in this one. I want to talk about justice, and I want to talk about what I'm going to call God's decree. That's a really religious term, but there's not an other softer term that fits it. So I'm going to explain what this is. A decree is an official declaration made by a legal authority. A, some, a word that's related to decree is to ordain. Okay? God's decree or God's ordination. What God has ordained. So, to explain this, let me teach you a parable. It's my own, it's not Jesus's, it's my own, so it's not as good, but it'll do. Justice, justice is a variable idea depending on its context. I'm going to teach you something right here. Justice varies depending on where justice applies or the environment that justice is being enacted in. Y'all good? So let me give you a couple of examples. Justice in a basketball game looks like this. If somebody's dribbling down the court and I go tackle them, justice in that basketball game is when the official comes in, he blows the whistle, and there is a technical foul against me, and I'm probably thrown out of the game. And in a basketball arena, that is justice, right? But in a football game, justice is completely different. In a football game, I'm encouraged to do the thing I'm discouraged to do in a basketball game. Y'all with me? So justice depends on the environment in which justice is being applied. Here's another example. In America, justice is you abiding by a speed limit. We have speed limits in America. But if you go to Germany on the Autobahn, justice is completely different because there is no speed limit. So justice there is how reckless someone is driving. 
justice here is how fast someone is driving, and as we all see in Lexington and Columbia, doesn't matter how reckless people drive. We don't care how reckless people drive. We just care if they're abiding by the speed limit. Over there, they don't care about the speed limit because they have none. They only care about recklessness. So do you see how justice is different depending on where you're applying that justice to? Y'all with me? Um, And when I say justice, I'm meaning the technical term for what justice means. Justice. So this in mind, let me tell you the parable. The rule at my house is for... i got to make a lot of room on this bigger table. We're going to need an even bigger table soon. Um, The rule at my house is for my daughter to not run into the road. Right? That's the rules at our house. She cannot run out into the road without one of us or without looking both ways, etc. She can't run out into the road. So let me give you just a story. Let's say that one afternoon, me and my daughter are throwing a ball back and forth. And I throw the ball at her, and she misses the ball. My driveway is sloped down slightly, so as the ball rolls towards the road, it's gaining speed. My daughter chases the ball and loses perspective of where the road is in pursuit of chasing the ball. And she runs right out into the road, and a car at the same time is barreling toward her at 50 miles an hour. Y'all got it in your head? Okay. I'm going to trip over this. So, Remember, what did I say the rule was in our house? Don't run out on the road. So let me ask you this question. What is justice? I mean, justice is essentially fairness or getting what you deserve. That's essentially what the idea of justice is. So, in this case, what is just? Because I've given her the rule, and she broke the rule. Right? I'm really messing with y'all, aren't I? If she broke the rule, then what is justice in this scenario? If justice is based on how well she follows the rules, then it's actually unjust for me to rescue her from the car because I did give her those rules. If that's how justice is applied in this situation, it's actually unjust of me to go save her because I gave her the rules and she broke the rules. So she should... Get justice, which is what she deserves for breaking the rules. I hope your, term, your stomachs are kind of queasy a little bit right now. I love messing with y'all. However, if I did nothing, I would go to jail for negligence. Why? Because justice is not based on what she does with the rules. Justice is based on my care as a father. I'm, I'm, okay. So in this story, true justice is actually me running to her, saving her, and if need be, dying for her so that she might live. Why? Not because she kept or broke the rules, but because I decided to be her dad before one of her days came to be. 
<laughs> you won't hear this anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Here's what you, you'll hear that you've got to, bro, you've got to keep the rules, and one day you'll be before, you're going to go to heaven if you keep the rules, you're going to go to heaven if you don't. That's what you'll hear this weekend, Easter weekend. You'll get a Yeti mug, right? You'll get a Yeti, you'll get free pizza, you'll get donuts, and you'll get free coffee unlimited for a year, and maybe bowberries, right? Let me tell you what you won't get. You won't get what I'm saying right now. I promise you that. The original decree of God was that mankind be made in the image and likeness of God. That's God's decree. That's God's purpose. Let us make, before a day in our lives existed, let us make man in our image and likeness, and we became image and likeness of God. Therefore, justice is illegal to apply the idea of justice to us breaking or keeping the rules. That's the equivalent of saying my daughter is what determines my acting out justice in our house. In other words, my daughter is what determines whether or not our family is decided we are just or unjust. No, me and Jordan as her parents decide the future of our family and whether or not we're just or unjust. Not her. She has no power to do that. We have full power to do that because we made her. We decided before she was born that she would be ours. Therefore, justice over her life is in our hands, not hers. So the original decree of God was that mankind be made in the image and likeness of God. That means that not only are we like God, we are like God for the purposes of sharing in God relationship. God's original decree, his original dream, was us in him and him in us. Let me read this. Let me read this. Um, man, 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 I left my book over here. I left my book over here. Here we go. Isaiah 55. Let me just read this. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. It sounds way better. Here's what, y'all know this verse, right? As the snow and rain fall from heaven and do not return until they have accomplished their purpose, soaking the earth, causing it to sprout with new life, providing seed to sow and bread to eat, so will be the word, or so is my word, that I speak. It does not return to me. Hear this. It does not return to me unfulfilled. My word performs my purpose and fulfills the mission, the mission I sent it out to accomplish. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it was sent. What word? Let us make man in our image and likeness. See, we never applied it to that. We applied it to the law. The law will fulfill its purpose. The law absolutely fulfilled its purpose. Here was the purpose of the law, so that sin might increase, so that where sin increased, grace might increase all the more. Y'all good? Y'all good? I know it's Palm Sunday. What God is saying through Isaiah is that what he speaks or what he spoke will always be accomplished and will 100% of the time achieve the purpose for which that word was sent. Let me read y'all a couple of verses real quick. This is in Romans 8. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse, but I want to read it from the actual uh, Bible. Romans 8, very familiar verse, verse 38. Check this out. So now I live with the confidence 
that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. One more time. I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our future circumstance that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus and the Anointed One. <laughs> nothing in the universe has the power to separate us from the love. Not nothing in our future, nothing in our present, nothing in our past has weakened or changed His love. Nothing can separate us from that. That's not what we were told. I'm burning with this. We weren't told that. We were told we have complete power to separate ourselves from the love of God our Savior. No, you don't have that authority. You have the authority to reign in the earth. What you don't have the authority to do is separate yourself from the love of God, our Savior, which, by the way, which, by the way, was lavished on us while we were still sinners. Here's another one. Let me just, let me just blow through these. <clears throat> Y'all good? Ephesians 1.4. I don't even give you a chance to answer. I'm sorry about that. Ephesians 1.4. Listen to this. He chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. When? After the cross? No. Before the foundation of the universe. Again, again, that's, that's all we were told. He chose us to be his own in love before the foundations of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained or decreed us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. That's from the beginning. Oh, brother, I don't know about that. Let me check out. Let me check this out. Revelations 13.8 says he was the lamb that was crucified from the foundation of the earth. From the foundation of the earth. Let me read you, let me read you a verse I, I stumbled upon this week in doing some study that might be one of my new favorites after Romans 5. This is in 2 Timothy. Some of y'all ain't never read 2 Timothy. That's all right. 2 Timothy 1.9. I'm just playing with you. Verse 9. He gave us, he gave us resurrection life and drew us to himself by his holy calling on our lives. Here, let, check this out. And it wasn't because of any good we have done, but by His divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus, listen, before time began. Are y'all hearing this? No, brother, I mean, that happened at the cross. Well, according to, I'm going to read you another verse in a second. According to, what, 10 verses I've read so far? It wasn't because of any good we've done, but by his divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. 
You were created in the reality of what God had determined from the beginning of time. I just don't know about that. Love it. Let me go to 1 Peter 1. Let me read you another verse real quick. I put tabs in my Bible and I still can't get to it. Romans, I mean, excuse me, Romans. 1 Peter 1. Let me read a couple more verses. My last two verses, but I could go all day. Let me start at verse 18. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for us. This was part of God's plan, for he was chosen and destined for this before the foundation of the earth was laid, and he has been made manifest in these last days for you huge it is through him that you now believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that you would fasten your faith and hope in God alone one more time so that you would fasten your faith and hope in God alone really huge okay did the incarnation do you know what the incarnation is where it becomes flesh dwells among us or in us did the incarnation deal with all sin forever? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Dealt with all sin forever. You ready? Was the incarnation primarily motivated by God needing to punish sin? Absolutely not. Did the incarnation deal with all sin forever? Certainly. John says, John 1.29, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, Jesus did that. But was that the primary motivation for the incarnation? Was it God saying, I've got to, I got to bring the hammer down? And Jesus says, I'll go instead, take me. And die in our place. No, Jesus was the fulfillment of God's original decree before you and I existed. That's very different. Very different. We have been, we have typically, depending on where you grew up, we have seen the cross as God's response to sin. The cross is not God's response to sin. The cross dealt with sin, absolutely. The cross is God fulfilling his own decree that left his mouth and will not return to him void or without accomplishing what it was sent to accomplish. And what does John say? What does John 1 say? He says, in the beginning was what? The Word. Why does he say, why does he say the Logos rather than Yeshua? That's his name, right? In the beginning was the Word. John's saying, before anything existed, the decree of God, which ultimately was fulfilled in let us make mankind in our image. The decree and desire of God existed face to face with God before one thing was created. But through that decree, all things were created, and nothing exists apart from that decree. This is, this is, um, <laughs> y'all feel this? 
Nothing exists apart from the decree. What decree? That you would be in him and that he would be in you and that he is in the Father and the Spirit is in you. Over and over and over and over and over. That's the original desire. So when Jesus comes into the picture, it is not something new. It's not a new idea God has. It's not God sitting around saying, Holy Spirit, Son and Father, we're sitting around, we're talking. How are we going to deal with this sin thing? I know, Jesus, you go. That's not what this is. It's before time began, the Father met and dealt with you and I losing our way in the Son, and the Son fulfilled that decree in time when the Word was made flesh and dwelt in us. And when He goes to the cross, what does He go to the cross as? Jordan hates that. I'm sorry, Jordan, (laughs) when I do that. He goes to the cross, two things. What does he say on the Sermon on the Mount? On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I haven't come to do away with the law. I have come so that the law find fulfillment in me. So he becomes the fullness of the law. And on Palm Sunday, he rides in as what? Somebody. (laughs) King. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Palm Sunday, Lord. Uh, see, that's my point. Y'all been in Palm Sunday your whole life. Don't even know what Palm Sunday is. That's okay. Um, <laughs> y'all were there for the donuts. It's all good. I was too. So th- that, that's what he comes in as king. What is 1 Samuel 8? Israel goes to Samuel, right? And they say, Samuel, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And Samuel says, you got a king. His name's the Lord. And they say, we don't want that king. We want a king like everybody else. And they get Saul. So Jesus becomes flesh and he becomes the fulfillment of the law, which they were not designed for. No one was designed for it. If they were, Adam and Eve would have had a law. Abraham would have had a law. Jacob would have had a law. Isaac would have had a law. Noah would have had a law. And none of them had a law. They weren't designed for that. In fact, if I could help you out, we don't have a law. The law that we have is love. That's it. You know what I'm saying? So... They were never designed for a law, and they were never designed for a king other than Yahweh himself. So Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the law, and Jesus becomes the king that they ask for, and he walks his way up the hill, and on top of the hill, what do they say? Crucify him, and he says, amazing, I've been waiting for this moment your entire life for you to take the law and you to take the kings and place them on a post and nail them dead so that it could be finished once and for all. And he goes to the cross, and human beings, not God, human beings are nailing him to the cross, and he's not saying a word. He could, but he's not saying a word. And as they're nailing him to the cross, they lift him up. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know, but it's finished done what's finished the law and the kings and we're brought back into our original design just like i talked two weeks ago unless you're born of water and fire excuse me unless you're born of water and spirit you'll never inherit the kingdom of god right so he even tells them we're going to take a backtrack you're going to go back through the waters of exodus and then you're going to go back to the garden where i breathe life into you this is the whole story front to back It's not God saying, I've got to respond to their sin. My Lord, they've lost it. It's God saying, I knew they would lose it before they ever lost it. And I've already met it with Jesus. And the fulfillment comes in. And Mary, who has never known a man, becomes uh, pregnant. She gives birth to a son. It was part of the plan from the very beginning. So you and I, you ready? I'm jumping way ahead of myself, but Lord, I'm about to explode up here. You and I... It is completely not just improper for us to respond to God with our best religion. 
it is dumb. It's ignorant. It was never about your work. Jesus didn't even come because of our works. He came to fulfill the work of God. He came to do something our works never could. You know what I'm saying? It is, it is illegal for us to think we can get one place in God by way of our best effort when we didn't get one place out of God by our best effort or worst effort. It's illegal. This was all about God being a father that when he birthed us, he took the responsibility of our justice on his back. And, he's, what, and Jesus is carrying the cross. Let me help you out. In Genesis 15, what have I talked before? Abraham is entering into a marriage covenant with God. He has the vision. He wakes up and he sees two things coming across this blood path. Not one, but two presences coming across, a torch and a pot, coming across the blood path. And Abraham realized in that moment, we don't know this because we don't know Jewish history, but if you know Jewish history, Abraham realizes in that moment that God is saying, I'm going to take on my shoulders my side of the covenant and your side of the covenant so that when you fail, it's my life on the line, not yours. This is in the story the whole time. So what motivated the incarnation, which culminated in the week that we're about to celebrate is God's own decree, desire, and dream for you and I. This is what Luke 19.10 says. I, Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost by who? Not by God. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? You and I lost you and I. When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. I have come to seek and save that which was lost. This is what John 3, 5 says. He says, unless one is born again, they won't see the kingdom of heaven. What does born again mean? See, we thought, well, pray the prayer. No, no, no. When Jesus dies on the cross, he dies and they pierce his side. And what flows from his side? Blood and water. What flows from a womb when a baby is born? Blood and water. Most of y'all shouldn't know that, so that's all right. You know what I'm saying? You better not know that yet. Um, <laughs> what flows from a womb? Blood and water. Unless you are born again. Jesus says that there is a circle dance that you were created and exist within, but you have lost or forgotten who you really are. So I'm going to come, I'm going to enter into the belly of the obscurity to seek and to make whole that which is veiled by your distorted perspective. Jesus, you ready? Is this, is this my, nope, not yet, not yet. Jesus was incarnate to fulfill the original word of God. I'm almost done. Regarding you and I and the entire creation, Jesus was not God's response to our actions in karma. Jesus was God's permanent and total no to anything that threatened God's original desire, which is the Father in him, Jesus in us, us in him, and the Spirit in us. Inclusion in God's relationship is what we were born into and exist in. It is the original desire of God. Our sin played a role not in separating us from God's decree. Okay, Isaiah 55, 11, Romans 8, 38. 
Our sin played a role, not in separating us from God's original desire, but in causing us to live with a perspective that we were slaves to a God we are actually included in as sons and daughters. That's what it means to be lost. When you look at the world around you, it's, well, bro, man, the world is lost. Absolutely. There's a bunch of, a, of people in the world that are kings and queens, sons and daughters in the spin of God that are living like they are absolute slaves. That is what you call lost. They're not lost by God. God never lost them. Like God walking around, man, where did, where did that youngin go? You know, no, God, they ne- they're not lost by God. You know what I'm saying? My daughter could spit in our face. She, and you know what? We're gonna, we're, we're gonna, she's going to be in trouble. Right? But at no point could she do one thing to separate herself from our love. At no point. At no point. Because our love for her is not dependent on what she does. Our love for her is dependent on the fact that we chose to love her before she was born. And that's it. And that's it. So her, our love for her, you, I need you to hear this. Let me say, the Father's love for you is not dependent on what you do for the Father. The Father's love for you is solely dependent on the Father's decision to love you. That's it. And He not only loves you, He desires you. He has lavished His love on you. He presented His love on a cross so that you could see. Athanasius says this, how fitting was it that Jesus died with arms open, where in one... <laughs> where in one hand he could call his ancient people back to himself, and in the other hand call the Gentiles back to himself in one man. See, that, that's the gospel, where Jesus is on a cross, and we think the cross is the perfect picture of the wrath of God. You know what I'm saying? The re- Listen, I told, somebody, I told my mother-in-law, the wrath of God, an amazing thing. I love the wrath of God. I pray the wrath of God follow me every day. Because the wrath of God seeks and saves that which is lost within. So will you try this one day? You get in the secret place and you say, Father, I pray right now before I do one thing that your wrath will follow me. And he's going to bring up depression. And he's going to bring up things that you've shoved down for years. And he's going to bring up things that you've hid from everybody else around you that you've been doing in secret. He's going to bring all that stuff up. Why? Because he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's not an indictment against you. It's actually a sign of his desire for you. I welcome the wrath of God. I welcome the judgment of God. I, I want you to judge me till the cows come home because you're coming into me and you're walking through my guts and you're saying that illegal that illegal that illegal that illegal and you're taking all that stuff and ripping it out of my guts to seek and save that which is lost judgment of god amazing thing i pray the wrath and the judgment of god will fall on this earth and you know what it's not going to look like i'm I'm about to get in a lot of trouble you know what it's not going to look like fire and death you know what it is going to look like sons and daughters coming home and see when we pray for the wrath of god we want the fire and death stuff because we don't want sons and daughters to come home because if people come to in, into our church that make us uncomfortable and don't look like us and don't dress like us and don't talk like us and don't listen to the music we listen to, when people come into our churches like that, we don't want that. We say we want that, and then when it happens, we do everything we can to make them leave without telling them to leave. 
We don't want that. We don't want our churches to be diverse. We don't want our churches to be filled with other people that think differently with us. But if you're going to pray salvation for the cosmos, which most people are not, they're just praying for the rapture to happen. So we're one of the few. But if you're going to pray for the salvation of the cosmos to come by way of Jesus reigning in his kingdom, the church is going to look dramatically different, thank God. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let me read you a little St. Athanasius. Um, I, I feel like I'm getting to the place now where we can't have an actual service without hearing something from St. Athanasius. So, page, th- let me read this. This is the early church father, about 150 A.D. This is John the Beloved's great-grandson writing this. Let me read this. Since then, human beings have become so irrational and demonic deceit was thus overshadowing every place and hiding the knowledge of the true God. What was God to do? Be silent before such things and let human beings be deceived by the demons and be ignorant of God? But then what need was there in the beginning for human beings to come into being in the image of God at all? He should have come into being simply irrational and having been rational, not, excuse me, having been rational, not lived the life of the irrational creatures. What need at all was there for him to receive a notion about God from the beginning? For if he was not now worthy to receive it, neither it should have been given to him from the beginning. Or what profit would there be to the maker God, or what glory for him, if human beings brought into being by him did not revere him, but reckoned others to be their makers. For God would be found creating them for others and not for himself. He's got a point coming up. Moreover, a king being human, I want you to hear this, does not permit the lands established under him to pass to and serve others, nor does he abandon them to others, but he reminds them with letters and often enjoins them by friends, and if need be, comes himself shaming them by his own presence. The word shaming there in the Greek is a little different than the English word. This is written in Greek originally, but anyway. By his own presence, only so that they not serve others and his work be in vain. How much more will God allow his own creatures to not be led astray from him and serve things that do not exist? In particular, since such error is the cause of their destruction and disappearance. Listen, it was not right. It was not right that those who had partaken once of the image of God should be destroyed. What then was God to do? Or what should be done except to renew again in the image so that through it human beings would be able to once again know him? But how could this have occurred? Except by the coming of the very image of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For neither by human beings was it possible, since we were created in the image, but neither by angels, for they were not even images. So the Word of God came Himself in order that He, being the image of the Father, the human being in the image might be recreated. It could not It could not again have been done any other way without death and corruption being utterly destroyed. 
Last sentence. So he rightly took a mortal body that in it he might be, excuse me, death might henceforth be destroyed utterly and human beings be renewed again according to the image. According to the image. St. Athanasius, if that didn't make sense to you, is saying, what was God to do when we were on a trajectory away from life? What, were we, what was God to do when we allowed the deceit and delusion of our minds to reign in us and veil the knowledge of who God really was? What was God to do? Was he to just let them go? And Athanasius says, certainly not, because what would have been the point in creating them at all? So that's not an option. And then he says, well... Was he to let them have their way and continually try to reconcile by way of their thought process and their now deluded minds, try to continually reconcile them back? Certainly not, because that would show weakness on the side of God. That now that human beings have done something that have lost their way, God no longer knows how to respond to them. Certainly not. So then what was God to do? except for the very image that mankind was made in and through becoming our delusion and in the delusion seeking and saving that which was lost. St. Athanasius says that it, it, it could not be any other way. If the Israelites had kept the law to a T, it could not have been done that way. This was the only way. We, so I want you to hear this. My last couple of points. Matt, you can hop up here. I'll get you all out early. Be the, be the crowd of Cracker Barrel. We, <laughs> if we had a Shoney's, we do have a Shoney's actually on a Two Notch Road. But anyway, don't go eat there. Don't go eat there because uh, I don't want to be responsible for food poisoning. I'm sure they have great food. I'm sure they have great food. But anyway. Uh, Shoney's ain't what it used to be, you know what I'm saying? They lost their way. I'm, I'm trying to seek and save that which was lost, you know what, I'm, you know what I mean? But, um, because <laughs> that used to be, that used to be the, the place. All right, all right. We were, or oh, I want you to focus in on this. We were, slash we are, not capable of renewing our own image. We're not capable of doing that. That's the problem with religion. I'm going to chase this rabbit all the way to the end. That's the problem with religion. The law was only so that our predicament might be made known to us solely for the purposes of us knowing what Jesus did and why he did it. Religion teaches that Jesus was God being gracious, which it was, but dying on our behalf in an act of God's philanthropy. Religion teaches us that the cross was God's act of philanthropy over humanity. I'm going to do something good for them, Jesus. That's what religion teaches. Like Jesus was God saying, okay, let me give you a mulligan. It's Master's Weekend. This is what we talk. Let me, let me give you another chance. And if this is true, this is the most important thing I've ever said in this church, the next couple of things I'm about to say. If this is true, 
Jesus was the lamb crucified, not from the foundations of the world, but from our decision to do something immoral. And if that is true, Jesus is God's response to immorality and God giving Jesus or himself in Jesus a beating that was so gruesome it would fear us into doing better morally. And if that is true, <clears throat> excuse me, and if that is true, our relationship with God always was and always will be a relationship based on the action of human beings. And if that is true, human beings or the kids are more powerful in determining the relational future of God and man than the creator himself is. And if that is true, we were never created to have a deep and lasting relationship with God. And if that is true, we are a part of just another religion of the thousands that have existed. And if that is true, we are to be pitied more than all others. If that is true, if what religion tells us about God is true, we are to be pitied more than anybody else. that we serve a God that you couldn't please on your best day. So as an act of philanthropy, he said, Jesus, go and save them, and maybe now that they have blood, they'll do better. If that's what we are in, if that's what we're in, we are to be pitied more than anybody else. Let me tell you something. Buddhists don't believe that about their God. Muslims kind of believe that about their God. You know, if, if that's the case, we're giving, if that's the case, me and my wife gave up every single thing we had to create a church where I lost every bit of influence I had, where people have cursed my name over and over and over and over, where nobody understands me, where nobody understands what the Lord is doing, where I feel like I'm on an island half the time. And I don't say that for you to, I, if that's the case, we did that for nothing and I am to be pitied more than all others. Sin is a loss of awareness of who you are. Immorality is not sin. It's what sin produces. But sin is us losing awareness of what is real. There's a lot of people in the world who are immoral and their immorality is not their sin. Their loss of awareness of their value is the sin that produces their immorality. I promise you this, if you know your value, you're not going to Las Vegas to throw everything that you have away, to throw your marriage away for a weekend of fun. If you know who you are and your value, you're not doing that and yet everybody's doing that. Them going to Las Vegas is not the sin them forgetting the value of what they have and who they are is the sin that produces the immorality. And we for years in the church have told people to act better when we should have been telling people their value in the eyes of a father that when they thought they lost them, he came to seek and save which we lost. What if over the past 400 years, instead of telling people you need to act better, you need to get your health, let me, let me just back up. I heard a story of a pastor uh, a few years ago, older man, I was listening to a, um, a lecture a few years ago, and he happened to say this. And he, this is a man that gave up his entire life 
for ministry. His whole life, he was poor his whole life, had nothing to do with anything except the ministry his entire life, and he was about to die. And I heard him say in this lecture verbatim, and I know other people have said this too, I just hope when I stand before Jesus, I've done enough. I just hope I've done enough. I just, I just, I just hope. I just, you let me. You couldn't do enough if you tried. So you can stop. Listen, you can stop striving. You can stop working. You can be a good dad. You can be a present mom. You can be a good coworker. You can be a good employee. You can be a good steward of your money. And it's okay if you're not traveling to Hawaii for a missions trip for the next 10 years. That's okay. It's okay. That's not who you are. You are a son or daughter of Yahweh. And every place the sole of your foot walks is place that he's given you. So let me fix this. God in Christ shows us the truth. This is the antithesis of what we're told in religion. The only one who could possibly renew our image was the one we were created through, which is Jesus, the God-man image himself. Christ shows us that Jesus came to fulfill God's purpose and design that he established before creation, which in fulfilling God's purpose also dealt with permanently our loss of identity. Jesus was God saying, you are mine and nothing you could ever do has more power than my desire for you to be in me. Look at me and remember who you are. That's who Jesus is. Look at me and remember who you are. And if this is true, Jesus was the lamb crucified from the foundations of the earth. And if that is true, Jesus is beckoning us to live in an awareness of our value in God's design and in the creation. And if this is true, our relationship with God was always based on the decision and actions of God alone. And if this is true, God has all authority and power in determining our relational future with him. And if that's true, we have something unlike any religion that has ever existed in history, which is inclusion in the God dance. And if that is true, we are to be a kingdom of priests calling out to the globe, you are his, come home. This is why this is why we gave up everything was to create a kingdom of priests. I knew people wouldn't understand. I knew people wouldn't get it. I knew people wouldn't understand why we preach for an hour rather than 30 minutes and why we go so deep. I knew people wouldn't understand why we take moments in worship and we just listen. I knew people wouldn't get it because we're in the South where no one does that. But at some point, someone had to be planted in a dead and dry area long enough for one person or two people to have the ear to hear you are not what you have done you are what he has done before you were ever born and you are loved with the same love that he loves his son with you're not just loved by God you're loved with the same love that he loves his son with that's in John 17 
The same love, the same love that existed in the eternal spin with Father, Son, and Spirit. The same love is the love that He has for you, and nothing could separate you from that. No power in heaven, on earth, your past, your present, your future, anything has the authority to speak over where you are in that love, which has never changed. You lost your mom, but it never changed. The prodigal son, when he left home and when he came home, both was the son. When he left home, he left with an inheritance. And when he came home, even though he wasted the whole inheritance, what happened when he got home? The father restored the whole inheritance to him that he had wasted. He didn't ask him to repeat a prayer. He, in fact, when the son goes and says, please make me a slave, the father interrupts him and he says, go get my robe. That's the gospel. Do you know what burns me up? I know, y'all, I know y'all get passionate sometimes. And sometimes I do get edgy. This is something I'm going to get edgy about. Do you know how many thousands of people are going to go to church next week? And they're going to hear how sorry they are? Do you know how many people are going to raise their hand and repeat a prayer because of how bad they feel about how sorry they are? Millions. Millions. that's, That's what burns me up. But, but, as Jesus with 12 people that the religious system had rejected is walking around saying things like eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no part in me as he's saying stuff like this those 12 are given entrance into something that in 40 years evangelized the entire known globe so let me prophesy over y'all This might not look like much. This may not look like much for the next 40 years. This might not look like that much. This might look like something so insignificant that if you're not careful, you'll just go right past it. That if you're not careful, you'll come in one Sunday, you'll go out and be like, man, that's a great message. I'm gonna wrestle with that and I'm gonna get right back. If you're not careful, you'll see this as nothing and I'm okay with that. I knew that starting this. But if you will dare if you'll dare to take the journey, we're getting access to, what I just told you has, hasn't been taught maybe in any church ever in the, in the past 200 years. And maybe even longer than that. And it's not because of me. It's because of the significance of the yes that was given. When Noah, can I just read this to you? Can I just read this to you? I'm, I'm early. I'm early. Every week, past few weeks, I get up here, I just, I just feel zzz, electricity just flowing through me. Brother, that's weird. Well, it's better than giving out Yetis. All right. <clears throat> this is the account of Noah and his family. He makes an ark of cypress wood. He makes it to the exact specifications. And the Lord in chapter 7 of Genesis says, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous. Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Seven days from now, I'm going to send rain on the earth and wipe everything from the face of the earth that I have made. 
And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Let me back. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And on that very day when the flood came, this is what it says about it. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were open. On that day, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Back when we first started in August of 2019, Damon Thompson was here. Um, there was only a handful of y'all that were here back when he was here. Um, but he preached a message that I've gone back to over and over and over lately. And the message was over Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Jacob loved Rachel. He loved Rachel. He worked seven years for Rachel and it says it only seemed like a day. And at night, when he thinks he's getting in bed with Rachel, Laban sneaks Leah into the room and he lays with Leah instead. Leah is a sister of Rachel. Leah is related to Rachel. And Leah produces amazing kids. All the tribes of Israel are named after Leah's kids, not Rachel's. All of them. Jesus came from one of Leah's kids, Judah. But Leah is not who Jacob longed for. It was Rachel. And what was spoken over us back then that I've gone to a lot lately is this. He said, do not settle for something related to what you originally longed for. And I've gone back over the past few weeks and what I longed for was a handful of people that were willing to burn so hot that it began to give permission to the rest of the cosmos to burn hot. That's what I originally longed for. And listen, us having a great life-giving church would produce great things. It would produce great things. Us, us just having good services that are an hour long, I mean, it would produce pretty good things. We see, Look at the megachurch movement. I mean, it depends on what you find. It's good, but like, you know what I mean? But like, it produces. But that's not what we originally longed for. And if you're not careful, because it takes time, Rachel, the Lord shut Rachel's womb. Leah could walk past, Leah, Leah walked past Jacob pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Nothing. But Rachel, the Lord shut her womb and kid after kid, year after year goes by and Leah's having all these kids and Leah's producing all of this product. And Leah looks like she is on top of the, she's just producing and producing and producing. And year after year after year, Rachel's watching Leah produce while she's producing seemingly nothing. And if you're not careful, in that time frame, as it takes time, as the Lord is incubating something that is going to give permission for dreams to become reality, if you're not careful in that time, you'll start settling for Leah. 
And that's what religion did with the gospel. If we tell people they're valuable, we might not be able to fear people into showing up every Sunday. If we tell people about the grace of God, that might give everybody a license to sin. We can't do that. You know what I'm saying? If we tell everybody about the real gospel, then my Lord, we're going to have to look at the person down the street that none of us want to talk to and say they're included in the gospel too. Depending on what day and age in America you want to be in, if we believe in this gospel, we're going to have to look at people that we have said are way lesser than who we are and say they're actually on the same level as us. And so religion has settled for a Leah gospel that absolutely produces. It'll produce day and night, all the time. Produce, 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 produce. But, but that's not the original dream. And if you see it right now on the globe, the Lord is taking the Leah religion and he is shutting it down. And the Rachel dreamers are rising up in the earth to give it permission to come out of his hiding. And that's where we are. And so I want to pray over you, but I'm, I'm telling you, you need to leave here today. I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to stop measuring. This is something that was encouraged to me recently. I want you to stop measuring everything in your life. Everything. How many, time, how many, how many chapters did I read this week? How much time did I spend in devotion this week? Let me, let me, let me just help you too. Your... Your secret place is just an expression of your life with God. It's not your life with God. Right? So if I'm spending four hours in the morning with the Lord, that's not my time with the Lord, and then I go to work, and that's my time at work, and then I come home, and that's my time at home. No, no, no. It's here's your life. Your life is devotion to God. Your, everything that you do when you're in the doctor's office, when you're in the cafe, everything that you do is devotion to God. So me being a dad is just as much intimacy with God as me studying the Greek translation of Romans 5. You see what I'm saying? But, but we'll measure that based on the standard religion has given us to say, if you're not in the secret place, if you slept in this morning and didn't wake up and spend time with the Lord, my Lord, you got to double up tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? And the reason we say that is if we tell people that their entire lives is worship and devotion, then we fear people will never read their Bibles. I think the opposite. I think if we tell people the value of who they are, they're going to want to dig into something that is telling them the value, the value of who they are a lot more than something that's telling them how unworthy they are. We've taught people the book of Job more than we've taught people Romans 5. Right? Job, God took everything. God took everything from Job, but in the end, his life was doubled. I don't know about you, but if I lost everything, including kids and houses and properties and animals and all that stuff, and I get to the end of my life, it doesn't matter if I have ten times what I had in the beginning. I'm still not going to be happy about it because it was never about the amount. It was about the fact that I think so. Job is a parable. Job didn't actually happen, by the way. Not like, let me help y'all out. Like, there wasn't a dude named Job that God had a conversation with the devil. Said, devil, I want you to go destroy Job. Like, he's going to still praise me. Dear Lord, he's going to praise me anyway. That's what he told me. The Lord will take everything from me. The Lord will steal everything from me. The Lord will take every single thing you got, but you can still pray. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. The Lord does give and the Lord does take away. He takes your sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west. I want you to take that home and put it in your pipe and smoke it as much as you can. You know what I'm saying? 
The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He absolutely takes away. He takes away the junk that you've bought into as truth and cast it as far as the east is from the west and says, now that that's gone, let me remind you who you really are. Philip, if you'll look into my eyes, you'll see the Father and you'll see you at the same time. I, this, is, this is the gospel. I could teach all day. I could talk all day. I feel like we're, we're inheriting something new, but it's not something new. It's something old. It's something ancient. It's ancient streams that the Lord is giving us access to. And the first, the first step to you tasting those ancient streams is shutting off the Leah valves in your life. First step. Y'all bow your heads. Y'all bow your heads. I heard it said, uh, as, you're, as you're closing your eyes and bow your heads, I'm going to say this on purpose. I heard somebody say recently that this is what the gospel is like. The gospel is like you living in a house and the mortgage comes due and you don't have enough money to pay the mortgage. And so Jesus comes in and pays the mortgage for you. That's the gospel. You had a debt that you owed but Jesus, out of kindness, came and paid your debt instead. That's the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you're a two-year-old kid in the house of Papa, and your responsibility is not paying the mortgage. Your responsibility is drawing on the walls if need be. Your responsibility is having fun. Your responsibility is not paying the bills. You don't have a debt that you owe. You don't have responsibilities that you owe to God. You're in the house of Papa with a spirit that is within you that cries out, Abba, Father, to make God's fatherhood known to you. The gospel is not you owed a debt and Jesus came from a distant place to pay it all for you. The gospel is you've been in the Father's house and you never left the Father's house and he's paid it every single month without you ever having to think about it. You don't even know what a mortgage is. You don't even know what a debt is because all you're doing is enjoying being in the Father's house. That's the gospel. And if we could get a hold of that gospel, we could lay down the idea that I still have to do something to pay a debt and finish the work Jesus couldn't do. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody in the room that, say, that you would say that you've struggled with that gospel? You don't, I'm not, like, I'm, you don't have to, I won't do anything weird with you. But uh, y'all know me, you've been here for a while, okay? I'm not going to make you stand up and stand on your head and count to five. But is anybody in the room, you, you would say, because I want to pray over you, I'm going to pray for everybody, but that you would say, like, in trust and boldness, I have not received that gospel fully yet. And when I say received, I don't mean like you repeated a prayer and you heard it in the podcast. I'm talking about you haven't lived that gospel. You haven't been convinced of your value. Is there anybody in the room that you would say that? Yeah, yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. Cool. Let me pray over you. Let me pray. Y'all pray with me. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the value of the original decree of God over us would begin to permeate every bit of our being. I pray that from the depths of our soul, that spirit, you would begin to cry out, Abba, Father, and make God's fatherhood so known to us that when we walk into a room, it doesn't matter what's swirling around that room. When we walk into it, order is brought to that room because of us being convinced of the order in our lives because of us being convinced of the identity in our lives this is not something that we have to earn this is not something we could earn you could not earn this gospel 
in other religions you could earn it, in other ways of teaching and denominations and religion you can earn it, but in the truth and in the way and in the life that Jesus brings to fulfillment in us, there is no way you could earn it, which is why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill what was originally his. Let me help you out. We like to say Jesus died on my cross. That was never your cross. From the foundation of the world, it was his. Your salvation was on his shoulders from the very beginning. You dying on a cross would do nothing, nothing to bring you back into a renewed image because you were not made in your image. You were made in his image. The only one that could bring you back into the image you were made in is the very one that you were made through. It was never yours. It was never yours. And because of that, we can live free. We can live free from the bondage of sin, free from the bondage of formlessness, free from the bondage of particularly religion, and live life to the full, sozo salvation made whole like we were designed for, because there's nothing further to do but just believe, but just receive. That's it. That's it. And even, even that, even believing, is not a work that earns you something. Believing is access for you to live here and now. That's why we have to believe. The reason we have to believe is so that we can tap into the stream that gives us life to the full now. So Lord, I pray that you would solidify that in us Easter week. I pray that this week as we ponder, to use that old word, as we ponder the cross, as we think about everything that you have done, I pray this year we'll think of it dramatically different. Dramatically different. And in that, we're going to honor it so highly it's not even funny. So it's in your name. Amen.